Hey, Nick. Hello, Warwick. It is that time again. Are you ready? Have you got something for us? I do. It took me a bit, but I've got a really good joke, actually. <laughs> you think it's good. So, Warwick, what did the wave say to the surfer? Oh, no. You're going to go there. Here we go. You're going to want to go with a guest-appropriate joke. You can hear our guests in the background grinding already, listeners. <laughs> what did the wave say to the surfer, Nicole? <laughs> Have a swell time. Have a swell time. Boom. I drum roll on that one. <laughs> Thanks, Tom. So, see, I'm <laughs> Welcome to the Tradies and Business Podcast with your hosts, Warwick Bidwell and Nicole Cox. Divert your phone and grab a brew as Waz and Nick unpack tips, tales, secrets and stuff-ups from guests both inside and outside your trade, helping educate and inspire you to break the cycle of gut-busting and money stress and create a true trade business. Listeners, uh, sorry about my co-host, Tom. I apologise as well. <laughs> Normally, it's Nick apologising for me. Yeah. Um, Tom Carroll, welcome to the Tradies in Business podcast, mate. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, guys, for having me. Yeah. You're still saying that after Nick's joke. We'll see how we go. I'm <laughs> from here. The launch pad. The He's launch pad. Joking on it. Love it, love it. Mate, um... Excited to be chatting to you. Um, for me, I love talking to high-performing individuals. Mm. Uh, and I think when I say things like that, certainly in my mind, images get conjured up. And I know most people, when you talk about high performance, they would have a picture in their mind of, of a type of person or a pursuit or whatever. Mm. And yet one of the things that I'm looking forward to chatting with you about today mm. is high-performance um, is not always about standing on the podium or, you know, getting the million dollar check. There's other ways mm. to be high performance in our life. So um, yeah. I don't have a question to chuck at you around that yet, but I, I just want to, I want our listeners mm. to probably think a little differently about performance because you have mm. been at the top of your game. Mm. Um, and uh, I'm going to pass the ball to you. I'm not going to use a surfing analogy because that would just be really cheesy. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I'm not going to drop in on you today, uh, but, uh, but mate, tell our listeners just in case there's some young whippersnappers out there mm. who may not know who you are, who is mm. Tom Carroll and I guess who were you and who are you today and a bit of the journey in between. Wow. It's been a big one. Uh, so, I'm uh, well, I'm 60 years old now and, uh, when I was, um, 22 years old, I became World, sur World Professional Surfing Champion, and then I got it again the next year. So it was two years in a row. I remained in the top five for nine years straight um, and remained in the career for uh, competitively around the tour until I uh, finished up, well, that's about 15 years. So I finished up in 94, um, started in the early 80s, uh, but it was kind of a grey start because there was really surf professional surfing wasn't really it was mm. just beginning so you know, there's a gray area between being uh, amateur and professional but uh so i started and yeah surfing when i was quite young uh at seven years of age uh and and i had no idea that that was going to lead me to become a world champion i just i didn't sort of start surfing to become a world champion mm. uh, i started surfing because i absolutely loved the ocean and the water so um from from there yeah, attaining the highest level in the sport uh, and then maintaining it and 
also going on the journey to surf, you know, extend and, uh, um, you know, adventure and, and evolve my surfing out into bigger ways and, and oceans and, and various different adventures around the world with my with one of my crazy buddies, uh, Ross Clark Jones, and other friends uh, in, in the surfing world and also sort of help uh, young athletes come through to the professional ranks um, through uh, my association with Quicksilver, which has uh, been supporting me ever since I was 14 years of age. Wow. wow. So I'm still with them. So it's a, a long-term, um, you know, support and sponsorship and business arrangements and so on. But that was, uh, it's been still going. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm amazed. And I can say that um, not only sort of helping the teams, but also helping other athletes along the way to the level of Kelly Slater and so on. So it's been pretty uh, amazing to think that surfing, I've been able to make a career out of surfing. I, I never thought that when I started and I thought that I needed to get a uh, like a trade underneath my mm-hmm. belt. Well, there you go. You're serving the and, references back to us. Uh, yes, and I, I, went, I left school at 16 because I needed, thought I'd better get a trade uh, behind me before I went out in this world of surfing because there was no guarantee. Mm-hmm. But I started working um, uh, as a panel beater on cars and that taught me what I really didn't want to do mm-hmm. So, and that I really <laughs> wanted to get, get out there and, and explore my talent surfing more and more and more, even though I did about almost two years, uh, really, a year and a half, two years of that trade. Um, I had some funny times in that, that world. But it was uh, certainly a great education mm. in, you know, learnt what it was like to do that job and get in the thick of it and in amongst it and actually really informed how I wanted to go about my surfing. Mm. Mm. But that said, you know, to now, um, I still work within the surfing industry. I still work with um, uh, Quicksilver. Um and various other brands in surfboard um, manufacturing. I'm starting to venture out into foil uh, board making hmm. and, uh, and all various other areas of riding waves. Uh, not only that, I've now um, been qualified as a uh, meditation teacher for the last two years. So I've been teaching people to meditate um, in, in a four-part course called the Vedic Technique of Meditation, which has been a really amazing path. So um, if you call that a trade, I don't know what you call that, <laughs> but it's like, it's like the trade of the mind. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. No, one of the most important. And when you think about it, you know, this thing starts with a, a thought, you know? Yeah. And so yeah. we like to direct our thoughts from a good place. And so, yeah, it, it makes for good results. Mm. Totally. I'm going to come out really clean really early. I can't surf. I'm going to say it right there, but I love the water. I've always been obsessed by the water. Therefore, I was always obsessed by surfing culture. Mm. I grew up at the beach. I was really lucky um, to have that, I guess, connection, but I grew up at a flat water beach. There's no surf where I grew up. But, uh, you know, to me, very much a big part of what I liked about what I the perception of the lifestyle was the party boy lifestyle. It, it, that's the, what it appeared like. It appeared like it was fun. It appeared like surfing wasn't hard at all. I've tried it. Yes, it is. It's really freaking hard. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I think there's a lot of, um, I guess, mis- misinformation out there about how 
elite sport it actually is surfing it's mm. really hardcore and then when you think about big wave surfing the mm. mind stuff that needs to go on to be able to conquer your fear or push through or into that fear mm. so that you can actually um jump into some of the most insane situations that i i can imagine anybody could put mm. themselves into so i can see that natural progression actually had you have asked me back when i thought that um culture was something i really wanted to attain in my life i didn't see the connection for me it was all about the glossy side or, or the, the yeah. stuff you thought was going on and i do feel like there's been a real evolution evolution in surfing as a sport mm. over the time that i've certainly been observing it i tom i'd really i'm really interested to see whether that resonates with you whether that's what it was really like or whether it was always a really high performance sport for you once you'd made the decision to go pro well, uh, when I started to go professional in, early, in the late 70s, early 80s, there wasn't really, surfing wasn't really looked upon as, as a sport. Um, and, and I had a kind of a real ambition to help it get to that status and uh, particularly sort of motivated by the fact that I'd, you know, go off in, and win the state titles in what they call the schoolboys surfing state championships and then turn up for the school assembly on a Monday morning and I just won a New South Wales state championship and then this local area netball team would win like the local area competition. They'd be up in front of the and being congratulated <laughs> in front of the assembly and I'm like sitting there going, hmm, there's something weird going on here uh, and like totally discarded, not just just written off as, as a kind of like this. So when someone gets written off like that and you got, you're feisty, mm -hmm. <laughs> you want to do something about it, that, that motivated me to, to look at, uh, you know, how do I bring in the actual the athletic side of surfing and really express it mm -hmm. and, and, and turn it into something that people could relate to to some degree because surfing was a little bit sort of counterculture. Mm -hmm. It's kind of had its own romantic kind of sort of allure, but I didn't know that. I was a kid, just wanted to, I just loved surfing. I love surfing. I just loved it to the core. But all of a sudden there was this path laid out in front of me. It wasn't really solid at all. There was no, nothing solid at all. There was, you know, uh, and, but there was this, there was this tour starting up. Um, it had been running for a few years. There was some world professional surfing champions, Mark Richards particularly, um, Sean Thompson, Wayne Rebel Bartholomew. Uh, and the first one was Peter Townend from Queensland in the professional ranks to win in 1976. So I, I already had like a bunch of heroes, of course, because you, you watch these guys and you just want to be like them. And so I was um, just this kid and I thought there's got to be a way I just my dream is to just to surf and be, be the best I can be. I didn't know whether I was going to be world champion. I didn't really go, okay, I'm going to be world champion one day. It wasn't like that. But um, as the competitions became more kind of uh, lucrative, there was more money in the competitions uh, and there was actually I could actually make enough money to go from one stop to the next stop and travel around the world and get out and get out in the world and, in particular, go to Hawaii and try to, you know, uh, that was the proving ground is to surf the North Shore of Oahu and, and really and, and get really good there. 
and and Pipeline and Sunset Beach and all those one beer bay were all involved in these events. So these these places um, were kind of a dream to kind of go and compete in. But in, here in Australia, it was really starting to get a li- get a lift as being a, a sort of there was professional events. So there was four events on the tour here, and I and I just uh, I saw the opportunity to to lift its profile uh, in the mainstream media mm. and, and really start to build it as a sport, help be a part of creating a, um, a, a you know, it, it, as a pursuit, a real professional pursuit that people could look up to and see as something a lot more than this counterculture thing, mm. um, phenomenon. <laughs> so I, I looked at other sports I looked at other sports people like um, uh, I looked at um, track and field athletes, tennis players. I looked at stage performers like mm-hmm. ballet, uh, these people who are in the pursuit of excellence and mastery in what they're doing. And, uh, and I looked at what they had to do to actually get to that mastery. And mm-hmm. I thought, oh, these people are like on the court for eight hours a day. Or <laughs> these people are actually working on their repertoires for like hours and hours and hours. And I thought, okay, what if I start doing that? So I started doing that in 1983 and lo and behold, I, I just lived in my performances. So boom, I got a world title. <laughs> I was like, oh, wow. I know it sounds like a little bit, I just, because I didn't know, I didn't actually, you know, we talk about belief, you know, mm-hmm. belief is a funny one for me, but because I didn't, I couldn't see it until I could really smell it. And I had to go through these little, well, what they call steps, you know, I had to get to the quarterfinals and get that regular. And then I had to get to the semifinals and, and then I and kind of, oh, I got to a final and I got beat out. And, uh, and I remember going, oh, I can get to a final. I can win one of these now, you know. Mm-hmm. And I thought, I'll win an event. I've got to win an event. And I remember winning my first event at Sunset Beach in Hawaii and the current world champion was in that final with me, Mark Richards. Wow. And I never, never forget going, I can win at Sunset Beach with my back to the wave as the first one to, one to win with their back to wave at Sunset Beach. I felt that I could, I was on my way. You know, I felt I could smell it as this potential sort of starting to arise in me. So like I said, it wasn't one of those things like, um, I'm, I wasn't that certain, like, you know, wake up, when I'm like nine years old and go, I'm going to be world champion one day. It wasn't like that. <laughs> so, so it was a, just a, it's a baby step thing. Uh, even though in the last sort of, yeah, that, that application of looking at other sports and other, how other people who are excellent at what they do, they're master, masters of their domain and see and translate it over to surfing, which there was no one really training for surfing back then. Um, uh, so an, an injury itself kind of started to inform my training because I had to rehab a, a reconstruction on my right knee mm-hmm. uh, when I was 20. Um, so that sort of played a big role in actually learning how to work out and, and, and actually recondition myself. But that actually, I then I go, oh, this feels good. This actually works. And I did the research on other people and then all these sort of, things started to play a role in sort of focusing me. Mm. Can you remember having, um, I guess, that long-winded maybe. But no, no, that no, was perfect. I loved it. Stuff in there, yeah. 
the battle of the mind that we we all inherently have every single day i think for any Mm. elite performer in any kind of sport or Mm. business or performance that you've referenced Mm. we have to get really skilled at learning how to control our mind essentially it's the same thing Mm. that you'd be doing now as a meditation teacher you're teaching other people Mm. how to control their mind and their thoughts Can you recall whether that was something that you consciously started to do or it just evolved for you as you started focusing on some of those disciplines that came with after the knee rehab? Well, um, I wish I would have had meditation as a part of the game back then. I think if you're a professional sports person, if you are someone who are looking for more creative performance in, in anything you're doing, um, having a practice of being able to just to see, just to be the you know develop the witness witnessing mind. You, you actually and then and then coming from that place to go and just get better and more finely tuned. Uh, it's just a wonderful tool. And if if I if I had it back then, because my results were all over the place. When I look back, you know my results were all up and down, up and down, up and down. There's you know like there's a sort of a curve upward there for a while, and then it go down. And then it would go up and it was never like this nice, smooth <laughs> road, you know. It was, I did have some winnings. Yeah, yeah, it was just life. And, and, and there was some real winning streaks um, and some great sort of like moments and then there'd be a run of just pure frustration mm. and, uh, and, and just questioning and doubt and, um, and, and, just, and just clawing around for, you know, like more more input from someone else, more advice from someone and just getting lost. Mm. So uh, not being able to come back to basics was tricky. And I think having um, ha- my, my practice really was surfing. Uh, I started doing yoga in 989. That started to really sort of start to take me to a much tighter and closer um, understanding of who I was. Um, as an athlete and how to apply myself um, uh, into acute situations and, uh, you know, allow my body to speak that, you know, just express its intelligence mm-hmm. because that's what it is. It's just intelligence wanted to, wanted to express itself and sometimes it just gets mixed up and, that, and our mind can um, come in with all kind of ideas. <laughs> so, so staying focused, I think, for me back in the day was, a lot of training. I did a lot of physical training, a lot of work on my surfing, and I kept to schedule um, and uh, and and yeah, and discipline myself through periods. And those discipline times were where I got the most gains, mm-hmm. and I was the most focused, and and le- I was most sturdy in those situations. Whereas uh, as soon as I lost my, because um, it wasn't always you know flat lining on the <laughs> on the discipline i was i was all i was sort of up and down with it so uh and there was some really nice rises in that and there's some drop-offs but the the use of of just just discipline and maintaining that's where the great learnings come from mm. within yourself and um within ourselves really and mm. i mean the discipline the word discipline comes from a Latin word, learning, so mm-hmm. um, which we get to learn about all aspects of what we're doing by disciplining ourselves, and 
Uh, and eventually with surfing, it really becomes a devotion because you we were, well, I love it so much. It was already there and then it becomes a job and it gets hard. Because <laughs> you got to discipline yourself if you want to get in, improve on your weaknesses, you know, and and that's where you're going to get the most improvement. That's what I I found, and so and that was taught to me. I didn't come to that myself. I said, look, you can get the best improvements if you work on your weaknesses. Time I go, well, I don't want to see more weaknesses. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's the last thing I want to look at. So, but uh, that was that was. Um, a great teaching that came through the yoga mm. uh, practices. But prior to that, a lot of physical, um, I had a lot of great, good um, results through, you know, focusing um, my training efforts on and improving my techniques. Yeah. Mm. We, we um, Nick and I talk with our listeners here on the podcast and mm. also with our clients a lot about habits and you know, it's it's very much a coaching, mm. life, business coaching, uh, teaching around success habits, personal habits, mm. and um, as a once upon a time wannabe hack surfer myself, um, I didn't uh, I didn't develop the habits um, that went with actually being unconsciously competent mm. as mm. you know in, within that sport and i've mm. recently taken up mountain biking because you know i'm old enough to be stupid enough to have a go at something <laughs> new uh and so you know i'm riding wow. around with 17 year old kids that <laughs> they do it every day you know every afternoon mm. after school they're shredding these trails and mm. i'm lucky to get out once a month and wondering why i'm slow um <laughs> is I guess in terms of what I said at the top of the episode about this high performance, I think, again, we all think about, you know, this big effort and and massive outputs mm. of things. What's the reality of achieving those levels of performance when mm. we consider those habits and, and some of the things that you've put mm. together? Well, uh, I think, you know, focusing on, like I said just before, our weaknesses, where we can where we can actually make our greatest improvements, um, un, un, um, uh, both revealing them and unraveling them with someone who you trust, mm. who you feel that can give you, you know, whether it be a mentor or, uh, you know, a coach of some sort that can actually sort of reveal these things that you, that you could actually improve, not only just keeping your eye on, you know, sort of fine-tuning the good stuff, but uh, really sort of working on, improving the places where you're kind of you're a bit weaker in so you can actually get those gains and you'll actually see those gains fairly quickly if you focus in and you apply yourself to them i think application to uh, any form of training um or it has to be kind of anything that we're learning new particular in particular the weak points has to be put in regular like it has to be a, a regular dose of, of of small improvements i mean if we're trying to shoot for the sky all the time i'm not saying don't shoot for the sky right but if we're just all we're doing is shooting shooting for 150 percent all the time it there'll it, be some you know it'll be disheartening <laughs> um because it's you might reach it for a moment and it just won't be sustainable 
Mm-hmm. So we're looking for uh, so that, that word sustainable is a big one, isn't it? Mm. Uh, but for today, it's very important because today we're, we're actually under more stress than we've ever been ever before as a species. And so if you call us humans, <laughs> <laughs> and so, so we're under a lot of stress. We've got a lot of input coming in, a load of it. And we're, you know, we've got these things that have actually made things more supposedly more efficient, but that efficiency comes more load. Mm. So we've loaded on, on top of each other uh, ourselves and we've built this incredibly efficient machine and everyone's on time, everything's, you know, like back in the day with analogue clocks who were just all over the shop. Today it's like, Doosh! you know, everything's like da, da, da. So, um, and, and also we're getting just loads of information coming in at us. So if we haven't got um, access to ourselves beyond that, um, we'll just be bringing it in, bringing it in, bringing it in. So the most important thing for that that we can do today for ourselves to actually create space for ourselves to actually take a breath mm. uh, and actually allow ourselves to uh, inform those active periods with with rejuvenation and and taking a breath, mm. so we kind of come into those periods where we we can be more productive and we don't come in with a foggy head, half asleep and not you know we've got one arm on the wheel we're looking out the window kind of thing so we're going oh what am i here for so so we we um so we can be focused and 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 i always find this one a hard one i don't know why but i we are always the best versions of ourselves no matter whether we are what we think about ourselves or not we're just here uh but it's nice to be a fresh I know it's best when I'm fresh, Tom, you know, <laughs> particularly here now with you guys, and, and I feel I'm alert. And so this is what we want. Um, but if because we're in the – I'm barraged by information and I like it. I get really addicted to that. And addiction, I hold, I hold that lightly because I know what addiction means, but that's a, it's, a, it's, it's, it's what we like think we're attached to this idea that we need more information. So, and, and, and it actually is quite tricky <laughs> mm. because, because uh, we, we don't need it. We simply don't need it. Um, we, we've got we, ourselves, we often mm. convince ourselves that we do, yeah. that, that it's necessary or it's, mm. you know, we, we can't achieve success without it or we can't live our life without mm. these things that if we're actually brutally honest, we're addicted to those things. Yeah. Yeah, highly, highly attached. And, um, and so, uh, and that's layered up too. So, but the, the most, you know, what I've found um, uh, through helping people to get to this space is that once we actually attain it, we actually start to get, we actually create more time by giving ourselves more time. Does that make sense? Mm, 100%. We actually create, we actually create space and, so it's, it's a nice place to get to, but when we're in the thick of it, we can't see it. Mm. Uh, so, you know, and I'm, I'm like that too. I just, if I'm, yeah, running hot, uh, I don't see it. Mm. 
It's a practice and without the practice and the conscious practice day to day, you can't mm. be in that space because you do get bogged down with everything else that comes in the door. Yeah. Um, part of that, I suppose, is when you're at the top of your game and you were at the top of your game two years in a row, you've won the world mm. title, that's mm. no mean feat. Mm. How do you sustain that? And invariably, we can't sustain it forever. There's always going to be the dip. Perhaps it's more about managing the dip that comes after those yeah. huge successes. What comes next? What does that look like? And mm. how do you push through, I guess, over time, maybe that loss of identity um, through mm. being a world champ? And not that that ever leaves you, I suggest, and please tell me if I'm, I'm guessing incorrectly, that that is very much a part of who you are. And then when you lose that, that, that becomes a, there's a form of loss there that follows mm. you on the rest of your journey. Well, it's kind of interesting that because, like, uh, there's um, the, if you've ever heard of Eckhart Tolle, mm -hmm. who wrote The Power of Now, and great, I love his teachings. He's beautiful, and he puts it really plainly, and he talks about how the um, your greatest success will become your greatest failure, and your greatest failure, your greatest success. So just watch what's going on there, kind of. And it can, it just informs that, that fail that, oh, I'm going to be really successful, get really successful. And then I'm up on the big one and you get kind of get, kind of get caught up in it. And all of a sudden you don't see what's going on. Mm -hmm. And then boom, you're on another journey now. Um, mm -hmm. And it sort of feels like, oh, I've lost it. I've got nothing. And, and now oh, you fall into the ground and you kind of come to the end. And, you, and, you, and it's literally, that's the place uh, is the golden moment. Mm. is actually sort of turns, it helps you turn around and go, okay, uh, help me. And, and you get this opportunity, this sort of big wide open window to dive through of opportunity. And then you can, that informs uh, a greater, another growth period for you. So it's, it's um, I love that teaching because it, it just, it, it, it was so true for me. And, and it's kind of like, I don't know if you heard of Joseph Campbell, um, the hero's journey is a lovely one too, and that sort of is a similar, similar teaching in there. So um, it's a uh, it's it's something that you know I, tr I try to get across to some of the young guys I I, uh, I mentor, but it's it's really all about yeah, just noticing that you know whatever when we when we're shooting for. Uh, success, which is there's nothing wrong with it, and 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 I always try to steer away from. I've used it before in these conversations, good or bad, because if all we're just labeling things as good or bad, that's all there is. There's sort of these black and white. We just miss the the gold in between, mm -hmm. and so um, so just be, you know, just really enjoy the journey. Really get into the journey in what you're doing. And focus in on, like, I know from being uh, involved with brilliant um, athletes, uh, business people, watching people, how they really attend to what they're doing and they get a lot out of just the simplest little movements of what mm -hmm. they're doing. And so when we're, when we're doing that and we're getting the joy out of the simplest little pieces of what we're doing, that's the gold. That's when you know you actually you're on the right path, really. Mm. 
it's a skill or or a, mm. a practice, I suppose. But it, but it's mm. a learned um, skill to be able to do mm. that to to find the joy in mm. issuing an invoice or mm. in uh, you know cleaning your ute before you go to a client site. I'm obviously relating this back to to yeah. Yeah, the, the life of our listeners is probably Ooh. like, um, because I think a lot of people they resent mm. those things in time, and yet it's those small things that all create the big results. Which is obviously mm. we've talked a lot about that. Um, mm. So I love that. Uh, I love that that teaching, Tom. I guess um, you know, young bloke, you early days of of being you know surfing royalty uh and still are i guess uh, in the mm. eyes of us more mature people uh, <laughs> <laughs> but um it must it must have an impact on your identity as as a as a person and i guess especially as a man uh you know having banked those results and you know you talked about being on the pro tour for 15 years mm. um and now sort of moving into a different phase mm. what what was the impact if any on your identity and and how did you actually um live through that mm. well uh i yeah i wrapped the i i invested a lot of myself in and um being that world champion and and I tended to sort of hang on and cling on to those ideas for a long time. Um, you know, uh, you know, I fell into drug addiction um, in around about the early nineties, and uh, when I actually had to move away from when I actually made a conscious decision to stop competing, but then I wasn't ready to actually. I didn't have any plan. I just went straight off and into being a dad to sort of, you know, you know, changing nappies and <laughs> and all, all that stuff that I thought, like, hang on, one minute I was doing this and the next minute I'm doing that and doing the shopping and, and it was so like, I was like, I loved my kids. I just, you know, I loved them, but I just, I just craved that kind of thing that surfing gave me at that level. And I, I, I just, I chased it. Um, and so that got a hold of me and kind of I kind of had an escape route then um, to sort of give myself something back. I don't know what I was trying to search. Well, to be honest, I look back and I go, wow. And it's so baffling um, as to how it kind of slid underneath the radar, you know, the drug addiction and sort of sort of started to grab me yeah. um, before I knew it, I was into the grip of it. And uh, because it does, your mind doesn't want to see it. <laughs> And it sort of, oh, crabs are sitting and then you go, oh my God. And then you're trying to sort of manage this uh, animal that's running wild and very tricky time. And um, I think with that uh, on board and, um, and also being, you know, starting to get involved with the business within surfing, the surfing world, and, and the surfing business world was really making some big um, advances through the 90s and I was involved with all that and in the fast pace of that it just quickened into the 210s and um, you know the the, uh, the early 210s and and it was full on it was a big world <laughs> I was running around the place uh, you know pretty free to do whatever I wanted to and um, and it was and it was wild I was I was constantly traveling 
I was constantly overseas. And so it sort of lost connection. I did really want to be at home with my kids. And then I was caught up with the business world, which was constantly moving, constantly moving. I sort of felt torn. Um, so uh, even though I was having the ball, I was having a great time. Uh, but then there was those times where I wanted to escape it. And, mm. and so it was fast paced and I'm, you know, I needed to go there with that at, at that time. But thankfully, um, you know, I kind of, you know, it, things <laughs> eventually comes to a head and, and around about 2006, in the end of 2006, I fell into uh, rehabilitation, which actually thankfully came out the other side of and was mm-hmm. able to connect with uh, recovery and really, you know, sort of recognise that, oh, shit, I, I really do want recovery. It's not like I don't want recovery. I really want recovery. And that actually started to play a whole new role in my evolution from there. But, um, yeah, I sort of stepped into kind of a more personal evolutionary phase, which was not not hard. I mean, not, not easy, but it was the best, you know. Mm-hmm. So it was brilliant. But... Um, and, and and I started to industry uh, and more in the more in the uh, sort of marketing air areas and uh, I'd sold a part of my um, my I sold my shares in the business and they kind of consolidated their businesses and and so that worked out really well but I didn't notice that watching people make a lot of money that it wasn't really that healthy when it was done really quickly. Mm. And I watched that happen and um, it shift people around in mm. such a way that it was sad, you know, um, and it was dis- disheartening for me to see where it took people. But some of them were okay and some of them weren't. And I, for myself, was just, I was just hanging on <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> oh. No, and I definitely wasn't one of those, I wasn't like a whole roller kind of guy. So, um, and some of them were liking that, that angle of it. But um, thankfully I was able to sort of come out the other side of that and, and with myself intact. Mm. Mm. Tom, how do you separate the business of surfing when it has been a business for you for such a long time and then the passion of surfing? that I presume that you still have now? Oh, oh look, um, my love for surfing started way before the business and way before competition. And it, it comes from a much deeper place for me too because when I was seven, when I had my first surfboard given to me, uh, at um, it was a Christmas day, uh, Christmas morning, 1968, uh, December 2025, and uh, and my mother, her, I'd been watching my mother slowly pass away um, to cancer, and I wasn't quite sure what was going on. I'd just turned seven, so my brain was quite young and very fresh and not really understanding, but there the whole time watching what was happening for her. She, was, she died of pancreatic cancer only a few months later, a couple of months later. And so, and uh, she gave me that surfboard 
like from out from underneath the bed. And so that surfboard, funnily enough, was something that took me to the ocean mm. and Mother Ocean sort of been holding me ever since. And when I think about that, the, the connection's way deeper for me than, than the, all this other stuff that comes along um, with the ride. So uh, I connect uh, with the ocean and surfing today on that level. It's, uh, it still remains with me and it's one of those sort of um, eternal, if you talk about eternal life and they talk about that in, in religions and, you know, people try to kind of express what that is, um, that's what feels for me, you know. It feels like there's um, something a lot deeper in my connection to it. And, uh, and that's why I'm just... I don't, I don't really, to be honest, have fear out there. There's no, fear is not, um, uh, it's, I get scared. Don't, don't worry about that. Cause I think scared, you know, you gotta, you gotta be happy wits about me out there, but it's never, it's never had that. Uh, I've always loved that involvement in wild ocean. <laughs> and so it's never, it's never been uh, something that I've, turned away from it. I always loved it and kind of somehow linked in with it. Mm. Tom, you had your fair share of injuries and, uh, mm. and I guess setbacks throughout your career, mate. Uh, some mm. more impressive and uh, unique than others. But uh, that, for a lot of people, um, and, you know, we look to sports people, I guess, because they are so visible. So it's easy to see what we think is their journey through some of these things. And and I, I always love to get the opportunity to actually sort of get behind the, the cover of the book and find out what was really going on there. Um, yeah. what, what did those injuries, I guess, do to your headspace and your attitude towards not just your sport, but, I mean, it was your life um, and, and your... Um, yeah, your income, I guess, for a long period of time. So how did you manage that and, and what was the impact on you sort of throughout the rest of your career? I always found injuring myself incredibly frustrating and I'd always sort of go internally in it, into it thinking it uh, and get really disturbed by it. <laughs> uh, but that was kind of, kind of ultimately helps me, helped me focus on, um, rehabilitating myself to to become come back to what I love doing, and uh, so even I think you know as I got older and older, and of course I matured, and thankfully I had some sort of yeah I had I did go for a kind of evolutionary move and getting in recovery, and then I had a bunch of different uh, like injuries in big surf and. And had to get a knee replacement and then a shoulder reconstruction, all in the, kind of like the one year, only a few years back now, the 2017-18. And uh, but all those all those times where old injuries coming back or acute injuries happening, such as when I in 19, uh, I mean 2009 at Waimea Bay, I um, I dislocated my my foot off my left ankle. And broke my leg yeah. in one in one hit. So, and just just that, and I was didn't surf for a year. Wow. <coughs> and so these these injuries always inform us, you know, like inform, you know, us who we are, um, show us how we how we are towards ourselves, 
uh, it's an incredible opportunity for personal growth. Mm. Uh, and it, it appears it appears like absolute living hell when it happens. <laughs> but um, it's usually, you know, once you're surrendered to the actual, okay, the healing process, stepping out of the way, you know, getting this out of the way and letting the letting this thing sort of, uh, you know, do its thing without us sort of hindering it and sort of optimising the body's healing processes. So, which, um, you know, I, I'm lucky. I've got a, I've had a quite a, um, even though I've had a hell of a lot of injury, when well, it sounds sort of funny saying I'm lucky, I'm lucky because my body likes to heal. Um, you know, my body's actually efficient. It likes to heal. And, uh, and I know that when I, basically it's just the equation of, me getting out of the way and just allowing because the more I try to get in there and try to make it heal, like sort of stuffing around with it or getting anxious about it all, or da da da, that's just getting in the way. And uh, so it's always been an opportunity for personal growth. Any kind of, you know, particularly in those competitive years where I had to step off to the side and not compete and just watch them compete, it was brutal. Mm. And uh, and wanting to being so fired up to, to be, you know, leaving this high performance behind, you know, like, oh, my God, I, I'm, now, I'm really, now I'm really behind the two weeks in, in rehab and doing some sort of, you know, like, um, you know, healing something, you know, I've got some sort of injury, muscle tears um, or whatever it might be. But uh, I feel that because I was such a, driven to high performance that I thought I'd lose my performance in two weeks. Mm. It's just, it's not going to happen. It just, you might have a little edge taken off for a moment, but that edge comes back when you apply yourself. So it's not, yeah, I get that sort of all or nothing kind of attitude too. I think, oh my God, I'm all gone. I'm just going <laughs> to go down the dumps pretty bad for a couple of days and I <laughs> claw my way out. But yeah, Tell but now today's a different. Tom, did you ever make excuses for, um, I guess when I say subpar performances, maybe performances or, or events or whatever that didn't didn't meet your own expectations? Did you ever make excuses in those moments? Yes, absolutely. Um, I tried to wiggle my way out of situations within myself, you know, and to try and kind of brush off things, you know, and the more I did that, the 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 longer it would take to come back. So um, um, because I was skirting around the issue, you know, and uh, always trying to, and I'm very crea- I'm very creative in in sort of trying. I was I was at times very creative in 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 taking the heat off myself, you know, and sort of putting it on the other you know, the conditions or, you know, or that's not right for me or that board was no good or, you know, it's the equipment, it's this or that, you know. Yeah. And so um, the quicker I was, because I know whatever it is that's driving myself to be really good at what I'm doing um, wants me to go there quickly, wants me to get to the, the point. And, and it, it's very, it's, it wants us to be there as fast as possible. In fact, they want to, it wants you to be there right now. So, um, it uh, the quicker I got to the honesty, 
the quicker I got there. So honesty as a competitive or anyone trying to reach a really uh, highly tuned um, level of, of their, of their uh, skill, their, their whatever they're doing, um, honesty is, self-honesty is probably, probably the hardest but the, the most efficient way of going about it. Mm. Mm pretty vulnerable space to be in though isn't it and yeah yeah to get there. but you notice uh those who are really sort of emotionally allow themselves to be vulnerable around thing you know you don't have to sort of uh but become just allow them allow the, the stuff to pass through them mm. they're more we're more able to get through it and get get onto the next thing because the quicker we're able to sort of apply ourselves into the next thing that we need to do to actually, you know, get better at what we're doing or just to complete a really nice job or, uh, uh, or, or get on to the next job that we make this next one better or we'll just improve our offering or whatever we're doing um, and actually make it really true to what we are, it's, um, uh, it's going to demand us to be... Uh, clear of that energy uh, mm. I could call energy if you like it's like a it is a form of energy we we put it off we, we give it out you know mm. if we're sort of lagging behind and we're sort of holding something back that kind of creates a weight in us and then we're kind of holding this thing and, uh, and for me it was uh, that was a big lesson for me I had to get really clear and uh, honest with myself about how I was in situations and particularly in the sport. Mm. One of my coaches uh, years ago drummed into me, take the lesson and move on. Yes. And uh, the quicker I do that, as you say, Tom, the quicker I get into the next action mm. and the more I mm. iterate mm. those learnings, you know, it's just that improvement by degrees rather than that mm. whole, uh, I think people have a, a misconception about, sports people, um, entertainers, anybody who's made it big, we, I think people know that there's been some work, but we don't see any of that. We don't see the mental battles. We don't see the loss, the, mm. you know, you talk about addictions and all that sort of stuff. Mm. We don't see it. It's not in our face. And so mm. we just, we write off your success as, well, you're obviously just born a world mm. champion surfer. No. And it's the biggest crock of shit there ever was. No, no. in fact, uh, I, I've a good friend of mine. His name's Richard Tonietti. He's the um, the lead violinist for the Australian Chamber of Orchestra. Wow! Uh, and a brilliant, brilliant musician, like a incredibly creative person, constantly on the edge of his 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 art. And uh, he plays a ten over. It's this priceless violin, Stradivarius violin. He's he's been given this violin. It's like over worth over $10 million or something. It's crazy. <laughs> he, 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 um, he, he, he is, he is nail biting kind of thinking that his performance isn't good enough. So, <laughs> and, and this guy's been doing it for years, like not at the highest level. And so, and he's out there performing, he's putting himself on the stage, constantly doing it. And he just practices, 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 and practices to get it right and make sure he's well oiled so when he gets on the stage it all comes out before he's going out on stage he's just like he's like still after all these years he's like this he's like it's the first time he ever went out so yep. go figure 
<laughs> you know, um, and and uh, we talk about stuff um, over the years, and I've given him some meditation and so on, which has helped him a lot. But mm. it's still because he's so, you know, he's a perfectionist. He wants to do, he wants to deliver a great performance every time. He he tells me of his, you know, performance anxiety, and it's it's it, it appears real for him, you know, all the time, and it doesn't matter, you know, you can. If that's rigged into the system, it will drive your performances. Mm. 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 Tom, can you explain to us how you came to be teaching meditation? <laughs> I've got no, you know, <laughs> kind of reluctantly, I must admit. I never thought I'd be a meditation teacher, to be honest. It's like the last thing I would have thought. Um, but, um, well, when I came into recovery, one of the one of the great tools of recovery that's suggested is to do meditation. Uh, you know, to seek meditation practice, and because prior to coming to recovery, there's a lot of destabilization of the of the self, and um, and the nervous system gets fried, a lot of toxins in the body, and and so you know, detoxifying, coming into recovery, you know, getting close to recovery. Um, and, and being in the fellowships of, uh, of recovery and so on, surrounding yourself is very, very important and having the support there. But actually doing your own work, it was suggested to do a meditation. I, and I thought, oh, my head's crazy. Like <laughs> I'm like freaking Jack's crackers and I can't sit down for, for two minutes. I was lucky to be able to sit down. I was like, you know, one of my friends used to call me the mad squirrel. And I go, <laughs> he's calling me mad squirrel for a reason, you know. And I couldn't, I couldn't stop. I couldn't stop. And uh, sitting down was like this to talk with you guys was, was very hard. Yeah. So um, when I uh, looked at, I saw, um, you know, in the 12-step fellowships, there's a beautiful way, um, divinely sort of ordered uh, set of steps that they work, where you work through to gain recovery from such things as you know life-threatening disease diseases of addiction so um and it's a beautiful way but on the 11th step they talk about um they suggest as part of the maintenance last three steps um that you maintain it with prayer and meditation which is you know because it's a spiritual condition that's got us here <laughs> we need a spiritual answer and so and, and, you know, hold that lightly, the spiritual thing, because, you know, I can say I'm more spiritual than you, you know, or that, you know, you get caught in all that stuff and it's uh, part of the insanity. But if we simply put ourselves into a daily, you know, I started putting myself into a daily practice and I didn't know what I was doing. I just, just said, okay, here I am. And I started off in, in, the, in the treatment centre I was in I, and that, that the, the person who facilitated my first meditation, I was going, oh, he says, we're going to meditate for five minutes. I'm going, oh, man, I'm, I'm out of here. I'm like sitting in a chair going like this, going, oh, fuck, well, I'm going to uh, I'm gonna have to get up and go. I'm going to get out of here. But uh, I couldn't believe it. I just sat. Okay, I'm going to stick it out. This is what I really need. I can, I've got to get into this. This is what I've got to do. I've got to stop myself thinking. <laughs> so, and, <clears throat> but uh, he got us to sit. I had my hands on my my legs, and he said, "Keep your feet on the ground. Just have back upright." And 
And don't worry about the time. I'm gonna, you've got the timer and we're just going to go and we're count our breath, outward breath. If you can count to 10, great. Go back to one. So, and, and don't worry about the time. Let's go and we'll just sort of close our eyes nice and slowly. And we went in. And I think I've got, and if, you get, if you get to two and you find that you've lost in thought and you become aware of that, all of a sudden, oh, God, I'm just thinking, just gently come back to counting again, the breaths. So I don't think I've got past two, you know. I go, oh, my God, I'm thinking, 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 thinking. One, two, one, thinking, 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 thinking. And so, and then boom, uh, he said, okay, everyone come out. And I'm going, I couldn't believe it. I've been sitting there for five minutes. Yeah. I've actually been sitting here for five minutes because five minutes, it didn't feel like five minutes. So I was fascinated. Uh, but I thought, okay, that's what I'll do. I'm going to do that every, every day. I'm just going to get up in the morning and I'm going to do my own practice and I'm just going to sit and do this because this head is crazy. And so over time, and it was shown to me uh, by an experienced meditator that the reason why we meditate, particularly for someone who has been in such a, an, uh, you know, a, a compulsive uh, behavioural pattern, that we want to create a gap between our first thought and then the action. So because before you couldn't tell, I couldn't tell what I was going to do. I was powerless. I'd just go and do this thing that I thought about and next minute I could be anywhere doing anything. So it was about um, creating more order in the mind by actually sitting down, witnessing myself thinking because that's what we really want to develop the witnesses so we can actually see, have a little gap between that first thought and action. Mm. And so it took maybe, um, you know, eight weeks to 12 weeks of meditation before I started to sense that, mm-hmm. uh, that gap starting to appear. And that's when I started to literally feel my nervous system not having such a grip on the fight, flight, or freeze response yep. in my body, and that—that's the goal. You can't—you can't do that by external means. It has to be done from internally, and and, and from an internal uh, practice. It, you know, uh, we there's such a close relationship uh, by two letters between meditation and medication. <laughs> so you know, so and 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 it's quite interesting. I don't know why nature's thrown that one at us, but it's kind of it's an interesting one, and it's um, but it's important because um, you know, obviously, some people we we do need medication at some level. Uh, some people need it to do actually sort of enter a sort of more homeostasis, so or to come back to balance. I mean, so uh, but medica- meditation, uh put in on a regular basis, I mean, it has to be regular. We can't just do it once a week. Uh, We don't want to just do it a few times a week and then drop off the other days, even though it is good no matter what, you get a start up on it. But to give yourself the opportunity, and that's what I I started getting these incredible benefits. All my my relationships above uh, beyond all the other work that I was doing, but all my relationships started to improve as a result of just having that gap start to appear. 
I was less likely to have my great opinion being heard. You know? <laughs> what, about, what about your relationship with yourself, Tom? And that's it. Number one is really getting to see how ludicrous these thoughts could be. Mm. I mean, it's literally a Seinfeld show going on inside <laughs> my head. So, uh, and it's kind of funny. It's it's hilarious. And so, it's it's that's it. It's just getting re-establishing uh, that relationship with the human being that I am mm. at a deeper level. It's a human being in there, and sort of when we start to touch on that, we start to sort of see other people as human beings. And so this changes, again, a whole other aspect of um, our ability to relate. And that was what was missing in an active addiction. Uh, all I could do is relate to the drug, um, even though I had these beautiful daughters, beautiful wife, beautiful surroundings, and internally I was smashed. Mm. Uh, but then things start to swap around. Um, but it takes time and, and it's, nothing's quick in this area mm. it's such a frightening um mm. parallel for what mm. nick and i hear from so many not just trade business owners business mm. owners in general and i think it's particularly um, acute for trade business owners because in some sense i feel like our, our listeners and our clients are uh, trying to smash two different worlds together. And I watched my dad really struggle with that his whole life. You know, Ooh. he was he was good with his hands. He was a worker. He, he didn't have an education and and yet had to sort of wrestle with paperwork and stuff that just mm. didn't, didn't feel like it was from his world. And yeah. the idea of business to him and superannuation, all that stuff, mm. it just, I look back and it just literally baked his noodle. And so, you know, I think a lot of people feed their, their um, it's almost like an addiction to the distraction mm. from being in touch with oneself. And we, we, we find ways to distract ourselves from mm. the truth and the reality. And that mm. might be drugs. It might be social media. It might be mm. Netflix binge watching. It might be food or, you know, alcohol is another drug. Mm. Sometimes it's even our sport. Um, mm. So I, I think it's a really important message listeners that, you get the benefit that is within not just the meditation. I think it's just being able to be honest with yourself and, and yeah. um, you know, look in the mirror and, and take mm. that moment to say, well, shit, is this who I actually am? Mm. Um, and then, you know, the path will often open up from there. Yeah. And I don't feel like eight to 12 weeks is a very long time to create some space in the thoughts. I think that's a pretty quick return mm. on investment compared to some of the other stuff that we spend money on. So, Oh, it, it is. It's, it's, um, it may even happen quicker for others. Mm. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and, and, and I think it's about, you know, you know, we have, if we keep going along in one direction that, probably has a little bit of a pong to it, you know. Uh, you know, I'm kind of like driving along this one direction and my whole life's going that way. I don't care. I'm going to do this anyway. This is my thing. And I, da, 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 da. Mm, but it's a bit, you know, I'm kind of losing friends. I'm kind of doing this funny thing. I'm not sure what I'm doing this for, but I'm just going to go this way anyway. Well, corrective experience is going to come because nature's, <laughs> nature's, nature's got, she's got the last word. Oh yeah, <laughs> she's got the last word, and so, and if we're going against our own true nature, 
um, there will be that corrective experience mm -hmm. which will come along. And if we can sort of see the signposts, which we generally don't want to see, mm -hmm. but if we don't have a practice in, uh, uh, on board that actually allows us to be conscious enough to see the signposts, we can avert from, you know, um, quite disastrous um, corrective experience, which is, I mean, we see it all the time. Mm -hmm. So, um, and, and that's really why, um, you know, I'd, I'd suggest doing something that actually on a daily basis allows you to come to who you are um, beyond all this stuff that you're involved with on a daily basis. So you can actually establish yourself in that and then go out and do the action. Mm. Um, does that make sense? Mm. Totally. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we have both yeah. had our corrective yeah. experiences in life, <laughs> maybe more than now. once. More than once. Yeah. Uh, it's a part of the journey. It but, is. Yes. And, um, you know, you, and you can see people when they're in that, you're going, oh, no, they, they, you can't really get to them because they're kind of so far in it. And you're going, well, you kind of, okay, here it goes, you know. Uh, but, um, and it's no laughing matter, really, but it's, you just go, oh, here we go. Yeah. Uh, but um, and that they're in that state of consciousness where it can't be averted for them. Mm. But, but yeah. Anyway, that's once once you drop in on the monster, you're in for the ride. You're in, yeah, you're committed. <laughs> there it is, listeners. I managed to make a cheesy reference. Yeah, uh, Tom. I, I want to ask one more question, mm. um, and then we'll let sure. you go. You've been very generous with your time today, mm. uh. Mates, if you had 1,000 tradie business owners in a room, what's one piece of advice you would just love to leave them with? Uh, well, um, like I said just a moment ago, make sure that you have something in your life that allows you to see yourself first before you go in and do the business. So you actually come from the place within you that is, it is true, you know. So there's a very healthy place within you that you can come from and you can deliver out that from being a human being. So you can see others as human beings. That's the key. Mm. Um, when we're running really hot, we tend to miss that. Mm. We send it to whatever pain we're feeling, we're going to make sure other ones feel it. So let's go for that first and then get out there and do the, do the business. Love it. I do have one more question advice. before we oh, go. Oh, Nick. Mm. I do. Tom, can anybody learn to surf? Is there hope for me yet? <laughs> I haven't been successful, and yet I know that I'm going to love it when I can nail it. In there somewhere. Never say never. I love it. No, never say never. Yeah. And I, I, I love it. You know, I actually um, coach some women yeah. who, who likes, you know, like me going in there and sort of, you know, helping them sort of get it together. And they're all in the, their early 40s and they're, they are frothing. They just love it. <laughs> love and, it. you know, they and some of them only just started surfing. They're just, yeah, they absolutely love it. And it's just about just doing it uh, in, you know, go and get some guidance, of course. Uh, and there's never say never right there. Mm. All right, watch there you this go, space. I'll send you a picture. Mm. Keep an eye on our social media channels uh, <laughs> for photos and videos of Nick learning to surf. I will do it. <laughs> yeah, Nick, you can do it. <laughs> Tom, uh, is there somewhere our listeners can go to find out more about you or perhaps the, the courses that you run? Mm. Yeah, you can um, head off to um, Tom Carroll Meditation. That's T-O-M-C-A-R-R-O-L-L, 
double r double l meditation.com uh and you can inquire through um just sending an email to me through there uh i do i do actually um do an instagram live meditation thomas victor carroll is my instagram handle and i do a meditation on a tuesday thursday and saturday morning at 5 50 a.m and that's uh free of charge so you can come along and you can get an introduction to what it's like to meditate um and i'll do a little bit of breath work with that too so it's a sort of bit of fun i've been doing that since the start of COVID, mm-hmm. and i uh, thought i'd just sort of come on and do that so that's been a regular thing so a bit of got a bit of a group <laughs> from all around the planet they're all joining in it's different times on the planet that's but it's pretty that. cool yeah mm-hmm. love it really cool love it. well there you go listen no excuses uh you can meditate with tom for free on the gram mm. and uh go check out uh his courses of course and tom just a huge heartfelt thank you mm-hmm. mate for sharing your story so openly and so many absolute pearls of wisdom um i just yeah I, I wish everybody would um, find a little bit of that space, mate. So, yeah, yeah. I wish that for everyone. Thank you, Tom. Anyway, it's been amazing. My pleasure. Much. Thanks, guys. You've been listening to the Tradies and Business podcast with Warwick Bidwell and Nicole Cox. Find out more about today's guest, tools for your trade business, and other cool stuff at tradiesandbusiness.com.au.